0: Welcome back to the Thrive Subscribe podcast. And uh, gee, I guess I don't even know what to say. If you've been hiding in a hole, perhaps you haven't recognized all the things that have happened in the last few days uh, with respect to this uh, COVID-19 pandemic uh, and the impact it's having both on society as a whole and in particular, in my case, pharmacy and how it's being practiced. Uh, So today, uh, we are starting a couple of uh, uh, a series of podcasts where we're going to be collating some information for uh, our pharmacist listeners out there, uh, hopefully to give you some ideas on how to uh, proactively take uh, charge and work with your patients and change your practice um, with respect to how things are being done uh, and give you some new ideas. Uh, So today, we're bringing in several guests, and uh, we'll start uh, out with... uh, Uh, Suzanne Feeney, who will will talk with Kate Gainer of the Iowa Pharmacy Association. And then Randy will uh, follow up shortly thereafter, and he has a uh, small cadre of guests coming to talk about things going on in and around uh, their practices and what they're doing. And the idea is to give you some ideas and uh, to give you some inspiration to uh, increase uh, your productivity and decrease your risk and take care of your patients better during this very, very... Uh, stressful and uh, unique time in, uh, in in our history. So let's turn it over to Suzanne and uh, and Kate Gaynor.
1: Well, welcome to our listeners. Um, we know we have a strong community pharmacy following and First of all, from all of us at Thrive Subscribe, um, we know these are really challenging times in face of this pandemic. And most of you listening are on the front lines supporting your stores, your teams, and your patients, the prescribers in your community. And so just thank you very much for all the work that you're doing in that regard. We came together this week to put together a special podcast, and we have Kate Gaynor, CEO of Iowa Pharmacy Association, here to talk with us. And then the second part of this podcast, we have some resources from CPSN and some frontline pharmacists. Um, Our goal is to just curate some information and get it out to you weekly over the next few weeks related to COVID-19. So with that, Kate, um, thank you so much for just taking the time um, to jump on with us today. We really appreciate that. Um, Thanks, Suzanne. Yeah. Um, We wanted to just talk with you a little bit about what's happening at the state level. And we know that NASPA um, has been working really hard to make sure that they're able to share information with their members and state associations on how emergency orders are impacting pharmacy. So we're hoping you could talk about that um, from a national perspective uh, with our frontline listeners.
2: Sure. Well, and thanks to the Thrive Subscribe community, as Suzanne said, we know those listening are the pharmacists and pharmacy technicians on the front line and really stepping up to take care of your communities and your patients. Um, It's been very interesting at the state association level, just how much action there is one step removed from that front line. And I would say um, myself at the Iowa Pharmacy Association, along with my counterparts at All of the various state pharmacy associations, as well as the national level, and Suzanne mentioned the National Alliance of State Pharmacy Associations, have really come together to put together uh, uniform recommendations that could be submitted. Um, And in Iowa, for example, we just submitted these recommendations earlier today to our governor's office around how pharmacists and community pharmacies can be part of the solution as we um, address the the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic. Um, So different states are at various stages of either issuing an executive order, declaring a state of emergency, shutting down businesses and determining what is essential versus non-essential. So that's absolutely going to vary from state to state. But Mm -hmm. I would say um, whichever state you're in, I would check in with your state pharmacy association um, to get a pulse on the opportunity to submit those recommendations, um, determine, you know, where the, any executive orders or board of pharmacy waivers may lie. For example, I know one state is looking at just a blanket waiver by the state board of pharmacy that would allow pharmacists to practice with a standard of care so that they don't have to approve a waiver to compound hand sanitizer without a prescription. And they don't have to approve a waiver to provide remote verification um, for prescriptions, either in the community setting or within a health system, long-term care, or any practice site. Um, So different boards of pharmacies in different states will be addressing those waivers. I know in Iowa, we are hosting, um, Two conference calls this week opened up to all pharmacists and pharmacy technicians in the state to let us know what the concerns are. We're doing that in partnership with the Board of Pharmacy so that um, we can all hear and be aware of opportunities as well as challenges that exist. Um, Some of the recommendations that are being put forth, for example, would allow pharmacists either under a statewide standing order or statewide protocol to administer point-of-care testing and treatment to alleviate the burden on the healthcare system um, for test and treat for things like influenza, strep, as well as the new COVID-19 test as it becomes available. Other things like allowing a 30-day emergency supply or allowing pharmacists to provide refills even if no refills remain. A lot of the recommendations have to do with easing the burden on the healthcare system. So pharmacies don't have to be sending in calls for prior authorizations for refills, but can just take care of their patients. And so also patients can make limited stops to the pharmacy. And I'm sure the other speakers on today's um, podcast are going to talk about the things community pharmacies already have or are planning to implement with curbside delivery or drive through only, again, to practice that social distancing and help um, minimize contact that occurs. Those are a few things that come to mind, Suzanne. I don't know if that's helpful in terms of sharing what state associations are working on with our state policymakers. Um, again, it's going to vary from state to state, and I've seen some states already issue these executive orders. Um, I know some state associations got information in prior to executive orders. Others are working on additional um, orders, either with the Board of Pharmacy or with the governor's office. And uh, um, again, I would just check in what's happening in your state. But I can guarantee you, because my email has been blowing up, Mm -hmm. that all 50 states um, from the state association standpoint um, are working for our members to make sure that. Um, pharmacists are recognized as part of the solution and the important healthcare providers that they are in this situation.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's really encouraging just to hear all the work that's being done um, behind the scenes to support those on the front lines. Um, if if members listening um are not necessarily engaged currently in their state association. Um, you think it makes sense for them to check websites, check Facebook pages or social media accounts um, for up-to-date information. Um, what can can new people uh, do to access their state association resources?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, depending on bandwidth and, and certainly um, some states don't have anyone IT in their office to update websites and things like that. But I do know At the national level, several of the national associations, um, I just saw an email from ASHP this week, and while that's for health system pharmacists, nearly every health system owns a community pharmacy and they're dealing with those same issues, they have opened up all of their COVID-19 coronavirus resources as public domain. They've removed that member-only login. So that everything they've put out there is available. And I believe the other national pharmacy associations have done the same. I just haven't checked them all. But what I've seen and, you know, there's always good that shines through when times are tough or, you know, there are always helpers and always opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, I've really seen companies, organizations, associations um, putting things out there Um for whoever can find them useful. So even if you're not a member today, go look for those resources. I think you'll find um, information that's available either at your state or national level.
1: Well, Kate, we've been so lucky to have you here today. Thank you. Um, Any any final words or thoughts to share with the group?
2: Yeah, Suzanne, thanks. I did think of one other thing um, within those recommendations that state pharmacy associations are putting forward, and this is really a concern, um, I know we're hearing in Iowa, but in those other states where the pandemic is already further along, is the recognition of pharmacists and pharmacy technicians and their staff as essential workers. Um, and that could translate into um, different childcare situations so that pharmacists, pharmacies can be adequately staffed. Um, it also can translate into waiving Um, licensure requirements so that if needed, someone can work in a state on a voluntary basis, even if they don't have a current license and good standing in that state. That's something that we're seeing pop up in these executive orders. Um, I know in Iowa, and I've seen this in other states as well, we're also collecting names of technicians and pharmacists who may not currently be employed but are willing to help out in those cases um, where there may be a staffing shortage either because staff becomes ill themselves and cannot present to work or just because the workload at a pharmacy may rise to the the necessity of having additional workforce. So that workforce piece is really important and recognition that pharmacy teams are part of that essential workforce category
1: absolutely thank you so much for bringing that up i know that's been a question on everybody's mind is you know as we're helping patients and those who may be exposed w- how do we make sure that we're able to adequately meet those staffing requirements so that's really great um, information to share thanks kate
0: thank you suzanne and thank you kate uh that was very informative uh now we're going to move over to randy mcdonough who has several guests today uh and they're going to hopefully discuss some things that will be helpful to uh, pharmacists and pharmacy owners uh, as they adapt to the almost hourly changes we're having to make in our practices uh, to keep up with the very rapidly changing dynamic that is this pandemic. Uh, I do know from our standpoint in our practice, uh, we quite literally have had almost hourly meetings to change how we're handling uh people coming in, uh, how we're servicing our customers, and and so forth. So hopefully you'll gain something of value from this. Uh, And so without any further ado, we'll turn it over to Randy.
3: So with me today, um, the guests include Joe Moose, who is co-owner of Moose Pharmacy. He's also director of strategy and luminary development for CPSN USA. Uh, We have Joe's brother, Whit Moose, who is co-owner of Moose Pharmacy. We also have uh, Cody Clifton, who's director of strategy I'm sorry, Director of Practice Transformation for uh, CPSN USA. And then we also have uh, Kelly Kent, who is co-owner of Towncrest Pharmacy and Director of Clinical Operations um, for Towncrest as well. So welcome, everyone. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to be with us today. Great to be here, Randy. Great. Right. Thanks, yeah, Joe. Thanks. Man, good morning. I think what I want to do is, Joe, I want to start with you. Um, you know, you being the director of strategy and luminary development, you know, how are the luminaries being utilized to help develop best practices for community based pharmacies during this um, COVID 19 pandemic?
4: Um, I've been really excited about what I've, I've been seeing the luminaries do. It's not, you know, this is not an academic exercise. This is real world mass units in the trenches figuring out how to you know, hold a carotid artery shut with their left hand while doing open heart surgery with the right hand type thing. So um, every day through social media, through phone calls, through um, emails, I'm hearing, hey, here's what we're doing at our farm. So here's what we're doing in our neighborhood. Here's how we're you know, reaching out to our patients, and here's how we're trying to to monitor the social distancing and in those type things. So we're really getting people who who are who are really out there doing the stuff and creating uh, these models on the fly. So we've got this incredible innovation tank um, that's happening all across America with these with these innovative entrepreneurs who are figuring out how do we, how do we do what we've what we've tried to do for years and that's take care of the folks in our community. So, um, you know, one of the things that you'll, you'll see uh, as ongoing, you know, is a podcast is us disseminating, you know, what is, what is Deborah Bowers doing in South Carolina? What What is, is, you know, um, John Croce doing up in New York, you know, what, what is Hugh Chancey doing down in Georgia, you know, at their pharmacies to, to combat this. So, um, we, we try to stay in constant communication and so we can, we can do what CPESN was designed to do, and that was share best practices.
3: Thanks, Joe. I appreciate that. And then, Cody, now you being the Director of Practice Transformation, I know that there's some strategies that are being developed to help CPSN pharmacists um, to implement and um, enhance services to help manage patients during this time. Could you maybe uh, give a little bit of insight to what kind of things are being developed at this time?
5: Sure, Randy, and thanks for having me on. So, just to go along with what Joe is saying, CPSN USA has a vast uh, number of uh, CPSN luminaries across the country, uh, nearly 400 of those. And so, um, as Joe said, these individuals are innovative, community-based pharmacists too. So, um, with that being said, they're they're poised to quickly implement new practice innovations and specifically related to COVID-19. And will be our primary source for identification of best practices. So, they represent over 2,500 CPSN pharmacies across the country. Um, just they represent um, what all these other pharmacies are doing. And so, what CPSN USA will be doing is focusing on the collection and dissemination of best practices that is related to coronavirus management. And some of the ideas that we have that we'll be disseminating from the learnings from the luminaries. Is um, home delivery of medications, workforce protection, drug shortages, and stockpiling of medications as uh, patients begin to react a little bit more um, to the COVID response here, and then also um, getting an idea of, of what COVID care kits look for patient look like for patients. So we'll be um, gathering all of those best practices, and those are just a few of the things that we'll be focused on and learning from the luminaries. So um, we'll certainly be uh, utilizing that information disseminating it um across the cpsn pharmacy so these patients get the care that they need at this time
3: and this is going to be a fluid thing as we develop these things as they come out as well too you know for those listeners who are not part of cpsn or may not be familiar with cpsn can you just define what luminary is because we talk about the luminaries being such a great resource joe do you want to answer that
4: yeah sure so so um you know, to back back up for those who don't know CPSN, we're a clinically integrated um, group of pharmacists that that are uh, an accountable pharmacy organization. So um, these pharmacies, you know, take are, are accountable for the outcomes um, because we're a clinically integrated network. Uh, we we share best practices with each other. Um, to, to get a better outcome for it. So uh, luminaries are those pharmacists that stepped up early on in, in different regions that started up these networks um, uh, across the country and said, hey, I, I get this concept of we're stronger when we are are working together, um, you know, by ourselves uh, we don't have much leverage but united we stand um, so they're the early uh, pharmacies that that were adopters they're the ones who helped organize the CPSN the, the local CPSNs in their area and they're the ones who go out and and tell the story and, and work with with uh, obtaining payer contracts and work with recruiting pharmacies and work with making sure that these pharmacies are working at the at the, the top quality level that they can
3: Thanks, Joe. I appreciate that. And then, Witt, I want to ask you, as a a co-owner of a community pharmacy, what are some of the concerns that you're seeing from the public at this time, and what can community pharmacists do from an educational standpoint uh, to help provide good information and helpful information to the public? Great.
6: Well, I think that's a great question. I think the first thing in your question, the first, I guess, term that stands out to me is community. And certainly we are a community pharmacy and and our role in our community, as it's always been, is to to do our best to take care of that community, to keep the community calm, to keep the community safe. Um, One of the interesting things that I've kind of observed in talking to um, different pharmacy owners and just in our area, um, not necessarily our community, but in the North Carolina area is the, um, I think the differences that they're seeing in the way that their communities are responding to this emergency or crisis. Um, Some communities like I'll use my community, for example, people while they're obviously concerned, there seems to be a trust that everything's going to be okay. And and you guys are looking out for me. And I think programs like a sync program or or, or things like that um, certainly can give that, um, reassurance and whatever to, to those patients. Uh, Whereas some communities that that we also serve, but uh, that are maybe 20, 30 miles down the road, there is more uh, unrest and there's more concern. There's more, I won't say panic necessarily, but um, so I think that number one, I think the observation is that every community is different in the way they're responding to this. And what can we do as, as that community leader, as that community, um, pillar, um, you know, it certainly is educate, um, whether that's through social media, whether that's through, um, emails, whether that's through whatever means that your pharmacies are uh, comfortable doing, but it's to get, to get those messages out there and to, to, um, I guess, focus on what we or what you feel like are those patients' concerns. Is it availability of medication? Is it that I'm going to get sick? Or what is the thing that concerns them? And then you know, do your best to address that. And I think at, at our pharmacies specifically, we've tried to do that. We, we've tried to let folks know that their access to medication should not be impaired regardless, you know, hopefully, of what, what mandates or what come down the pipe uh, at any time. So uh, whether that is delivery, whether that is curbside pickup, whether it is some creative thing that we haven't necessarily come up with yet. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think we have to be that rock for the community to, to um, help let them know that there is stability out there. And uh, certainly that starts with us and it starts within our own organizations of of uh, how we're handling our staff and how, how they're dealing with the people. Yeah. Hey,
3: Randy, um,
4: one of the, one of the, the quick, the things early on in this that, that Witt said that I thought was, uh, just a really good piece of advice is he said, you know, we got to start in our own house, um, and, and make sure that our staff is comfortable and understands it. So every morning before we start working, you know, we have a briefing with the staff, and say, hey, here's what we've learned. Here's what happened yesterday in the community. You know, here, hey, we heard that it's, our hospital now has two, you know, positive cases. Or we heard that they're doing testing um, in a county, you know, the next county and kind of trying to give them an update. And also, you know, we've changed our day one kind of protocol, how we were handling deliveries. You know, every day, I think we've gotten a little, a little more stringent with what we're doing. And, and we, it was like, hey, let's start and make sure that we, we've we reassured them before we, so they're comfortable in reassuring everybody on the phone that's calling. And I really think that's been a trickle down in the community is that they, they like that. They, they, they like seeing that we're addressing it. We're not sweeping it under the rug. You know, like to see that we're adjusting with that.
3: Yeah, I totally agree, Joe, that I think it's important that uh, we maintain composure and calmness for our employees, making sure they know that we're staying on top of things and making sure that we have their safety in mind. And so, Kelly, you being a partner with me and co-owner of Towncrest Pharmacy, you know, as you said, your role changed starting last Thursday um, drastically as we saw this thing coming down. Tell me what kind of things Towncrest Pharmacy is doing to prepare their employees Um, for this um, pandemic and then also um, with that you know what kind of services are you providing to patients that might be different than what we normally have provided in the past
7: yeah thanks randy good good points to bring up so the first thing um, yeah i felt like kind of last later last week things really started to pick up and we um, collectively decided we needed to make a communication with our staff so they knew that we did have their interests at heart, and we were taking some preventative measures to ensure their safety. So, um, making sure we've got cleaning supplies and uh, safety equipment on hand and available to them, um, hand sanitizer, uh, just making sure we've got necessary things that, on hand for them to stay safe and continue to uh, serve the patients. Uh, we also changed some of our uh, daily practices to make sure that. Everyone understood we needed to be cleaning counters, surfaces, doors, credit card machine, um, at least hourly, if not more, uh, just to be in constant communication. And as was mentioned earlier, um, some of the things we've had to continue to adapt is, uh, for example, like our delivery procedure. I feel like that's definitely evolved a little bit every day, but making sure that we're communicating with our staff and communicating with our supportive living groups and uh, long-term care facilities that we um, service has been critical. Uh, obviously, they understand the concern, and it's uh, they're, they're certainly very receptive of our precautions that we're taking and appreciative that we're being uh, proactive on the matter, um, but it has been constant daily update to make sure that staff and, and our all the groups that we provide care to are aware of what we're needing to do to change. Um, we started making sure that we're more active, like with our social media and our outdoor sign. Um, we just made some modifications to the outdoor sign just to make sure simply, if you're not feeling well, call us. Um, We've been active on our social media and on the sign to say, you know, you can certainly call us from your car. We'll come right out to your car to to ensure that you get your medication easily. Um, our number of home deliveries has increased as well, too, and I think that'll continue to, to increase. Uh, we certainly have continued to evolve our safety standards for our delivery drivers and make sure that they have appropriate protective equipment um, and kind of had to modify some of the delivery processes so we can ensure that they the patient receives the medication, yet there's minimal um, physical contact between our staff and the individuals. Um, those are some of the the main things, but as as we pointed out, it continues to evolve as the day goes no, on.
3: I totally agree, and you know there's words that you guys are using and and that's to me the the strength. The power of of community pharmacy and and I know Wit you had used the word um, becoming creative being the rock but the creativity I think really um, jumped out at me uh, Kelly you talked about modifying um, you know being innovative and looking for different ways of doing things and we talk about that all the time so you know this is open to any one of you but um, you know that to me being creative because as Wit I think you said it best. I don't know what it's going to look like tomorrow, so I may have to be even more creative. This is, the I think, a strength of community pharmacy is that we can be very flexible to move very quickly in situations like this. So does anybody want to comment about that?
7: Yeah, I think uh... – We've certainly tried to be very adaptive to, for, um, on a daily basis, our medication synchronization program and scheduling those appointments with people and uh, making sure that we're refilling them in a timely manner. Um, we've taken a lot of conversations with folks about having a reasonable amount of supply on hand and um, obviously cautioned against having large stockpiles on hand, but making sure that they have a reasonable quantity. We've been working with patients to perhaps get a 90-day supply this time if things are stable instead of a 30-day supply. Um, Some of our our face-to-face med-sync visits and our enhanced MTM visits, more of those have been over the phone now. So we've just continued to adapt to the needs of our patients who continue, yeah. And certainly our conversations have evolved depending on what their concerns are at that time, too.
3: Cody, from yeah. you as a practitioner, what are you seeing within your practice?
5: Yeah, I would echo exactly what Kelly was stating there. It's just being, becoming very reactive. So something that we hadn't done in the past is really encourage the 90-day prescriptions. But now that um, times have changed and if they are stable, um, now we are recommending those again. So something that we are once again being very good with.
3: Cody, I also wanted to follow up with you as far as, you know, from a CPSN uh, pharmacy standpoint, you know, as far as developing a a service offering, as far as uh, triaging or screening patients, do we have something in the works for that? Yeah, Randy,
5: I'm glad you brought that up. So um, at CPSN USA, we, since we are this um, accountable pharmacy organization that shares best practices, um, we have come up with the COVID-19 service offering in which it really focuses on how do you uh, screen and triage these patients as there's more occurrences of possible um, COVID-19 is starting to occur and developing a plan of care for those patients who test positive or those patients that are at risk um, for the virus. So uh, we have developed out um, a few different scenarios for pharmacists to follow. This will be distributed um, to CPSM pharmacies and beyond, actually. So we do see the, the need and the importance of getting this information out there as um, COVID-19 is diagnosed a little bit more, as testing becomes more available. So how do we uh, uh, triage those patients that are not at risk versus at risk and those that are asymptomatic versus symptomatic? And so we think this will help give the pharmacists pharmacy staff members a really good idea of how to proceed forward whenever they're interacting with patients um, in these categories. And uh, this will be something that will be housed on a website that will be updated as uh, CDC recommendations are updated. So uh, we've got a good draft uh, started here that we'll be sharing with the pharmacist, but it will be a living and breathing document that we um, share with the pharmacies and they can go Uh, too, to see the most updated information of how to react if a patient tests positive or negative, or if they're even at risk.
3: You know, as I think about the probably the patient that we'll probably be really looking at as being the person that we're most concerned about will be that high-risk patient who does test positive. And as we talk about a clinically integrated network of pharmacies that provide enhanced services... Um, Joe, can you maybe tell about what some of those enhanced services might be that can help that patient manage that situation better?
4: Yeah, um we, I just we talked about this yesterday, and I think we've kind of we've all been in panic mode, um, it, so it's been kind of head down and not really looking out at any of this. But I think there's an incredible opportunity for us here too. Um, So so far, it's been, you know, I I literally spent probably 15 hours yesterday trying to to cover protocols and talk with staff and talk with with patients about what's going on and how we're handling it. And, And now as we're getting, you know, some of those kinks worked out because, you know, quite frankly, we... We weren't really prepared for. It. We didn't have, uh, you know, good policies in place for this, and we didn't have good workflows in place for this. It, it's, but now we're looking to, hey, you know, if the unfortunate happens and and folks in our community start getting, um, you know, being positive for this and getting sick because of it, the hospitals don't want them in the hospital, the clinics don't want them in the clinic. I mean, I think we have a real opportunity to be the community outreach folks that are. That are caring for these folks and checking in on them and and and, and you know being able to, to triage when it gets beyond being able to to stay in their home but but being the you know the active monitors of these folks so we've we've got to position ourselves to doing activities that that do that how are you going to utilize your your delivery driver staff how are you going to use your you know your your telephonics and sync call folks to to question um, the, so t- today we have our, our sync techs, you know, calling and asking, asking the questions. Have they traveled, uh, to, to, uh, you know, any, any of the, the places, do, do they have any shortness of breath? Uh, do they have a fever greater than a hundred point four? So they, we, we've kind of created this script for them that, you know, have you, you or someone, in your household recently returned from China, Italy, South Korea, Iran or enter Japan if yes then they ask this question if no they ask this question and they go down this decision tree so I think we we need to look at this as a real opportunity for pharmacy to be that boots on the ground force in our communities and take advantage of that because I think we're better positioned than than any other profession out there to do that
6: Right. And I would just echo with that as well as Joe's talking and I'm actually in the pharmacy today and I'm just looking out over my staff and I'm seeing, man, these are really amazing people that work here. And I guarantee you that that all of the CPESN pharmacies have equally as amazing staff. So any of those pharmacies out there, and I would say the majority might be non-CPESN, that still haven't bought into this fact that you've got an amazing staff that can do more than count pills. are totally missing the mark. And this is, you know, if nothing else, maybe this is your call to rally and say, look, it's time for you guys to step out uh, and it's time for you as the, as the pharmacist uh, owner, manager, whatever, to trust these folks and and let them do some of that investigating like Joe's talking about. You you may have to allocate staff to delivery uh, that's not doing that currently, or you may have to allocate someone to, to be that runner that's going out to the, the person's car or whatever so you know it's time maybe this is that opportunity when you've maybe been a little reluctant to let loose of the reins to do that because it's going to take all of us to get through this and we absolutely will get through it but but, you know man this is that opportunity to let them shine you've got the people that will shine there i promise that's that's a fact
3: would I appreciate that. And, and you know, really following up with, what, with both what you and, and Joe have just said is, you know, the, the accessibility of community pharmacists to me is really the strength of this whole thing, because you're right, our hospital systems, our healthcare systems um, could become overwhelmed pretty easily as this thing continues to grow. And so we're going to have to be that outreach for our, our patients. And even though we may not be able to have, you know, patients coming in to see us, we have our means of how we can reach out to get to the patients in some way to make sure they still have accessibility to a healthcare provider, make sure they have accessibility to their medications. And Joe, you also brought up as a a big component of what uh, pharmacists can do in this is the ongoing monitoring follow-up for that patient, uh, making sure you're managing their medications so they're optimizing the medications, especially during those times that their conditions may be exacerbated because of um, the COVID-19 Um, We also can make sure these patients are being med-synced and following up with them on a frequent basis, especially if they are testing positive that, you know, we're talking multiple times during the week that we're following up with these patients just to make sure they're progressing in a positive way for us as well, too. Um, So just a lot of different things that I see that the pharmacist, you know, can provide. And then I think, you know, when the vaccine does come available... You know how will that change things? And again, the accessibility of the of the community pharmacist um, in that in that realm as well. So, I don't know, Cody. You have anything to add that uh, we've missed as far as other things that you see pharmacists in the community center could be providing as services?
5: Yeah, hey, Randy. Just to go on what Joe and Rich are describing currently, I, I think this is really the opportunity for pharmacies to be the the backbone, in a sense. Uh, of the the medical community to make sure that patients are triaged um, and the medical systems are used appropriately. So I think that's one good thing that we're good at within the community pharmacy, among many other things, but being able to follow up with patients. And so one of the uh, aspects of the uh, standard of care plan that we're going to be uh, rolling out with the pharmacies are making sure if they are testing positive, going by the CDC recommendation um, about these patients need to be followed up on every three days. So, um, and as guidance like that uh, progresses as we move forward, we'll continue to update that. But there's just so much um, opportunity to provide supportive treatment strategies too with um, having um, products available that um, if they are available for like, making sure patients have soap on hand or hand sanitizer, making sure that we're uh, talking with the patients about social distancing, even though they may enjoy seeing their grandkids, but this may not be the, the best time to have those visits right now, especially if they're at a lot of risk.
3: And Kelly, I want to ask you one final question too, and that is um, you being a a pharmacist and a member of CPSN. um, How do you think CPSN has improved the practice so that in situations such as COVID-19, we're better prepared for that because of what we've done with CPSN? Mm
7: -hmm. Yeah, good question. So I think Certainly just the network of uh, CPSN has given us access to so many uh, innovative practices and pharmacists that are doing similar work to what we're doing um, to, to learn with their successes. I mean, I'm getting ideas and my wheels are turning just sitting here listening to, to Joe and Witt talk about what they're doing and their practices, too. So I think there's tremendous um to be tremendous amounts to be gained just from the collaboration. I also think there's uh, great benefits that we've gained from um, the the monthly um, materials and the email updates that come out. I mean, this had some great um, guidance and some examples of some social media that pharmacies had put out. So just sharing um, some some thoughts that others had put out to see if that might be relevant for your practice. So I think that's a, a huge thing that we've gained from this along the way. Um, just listening to what, uh, how others are evolving their delivery processes and their staffing. Um, and I mean, it does give me a little comfort just to hear, you know, you guys say that it it is change every day and how we handled things yesterday might be different than how we do it today. Cause that's it's a little reassurance. Cause I do feel like we're, we're constantly evolving, but but we have to, and so to have that network is very helpful.
4: Yeah, Kelly, I, I'm the same way. I mean, uh, I I feel like we've tried to be really on top of this, but uh, we we started curbside delivery where uh, we put signs up and we're notifying when we a patients call in to to just pull in the parking lot and call us on their cell phone, and our you know personnel would take it out and give them give it to them in the parking lot so they didn't have to come into the pharmacy and i was talking to a, another cpsn member last night about what they were doing um they called and asked me okay tell me everything you're doing and i was telling them what we were doing they said yeah we're doing that except we tell them that we're going to come bring it out and we're going to put it on the hood and then after we leave they can <laughs> get out and get it and i was like that's even one step yeah. better okay that's so that's what i came in this morning on when I was briefing my staff this morning, I said, okay, we're amending what we were doing yesterday. Now we're not taking it out to the car and handing it to them in the window. We're taking it out in the car and we're putting it on their hood on it. So it, it's right. like you say, we're learning every day how to, how to make this better. And I really think, you know, that is a, that, that you can't put a, a dollar figure on, on getting that real world advice like that that, that I'm getting from other CPSN members.
3: Yeah, it's the strength of the Absolutely. network. Absolutely. And- Ahead, I was just thinking
7: that the next thing that we need to gain some some opinion or advice on too is just how to evolve our staffing model and if we if we make changes to our current staffing and hours and so that's I'm anxious to hear what others are are doing and advising in that
5: realm.
3: And I think that's a good way for us to uh, end this podcast is to really, you know, um, identify the strength of of having a network of uh, pharmacies that are providing enhanced services that are a clinically integrated network that because they are clinically integrated, they can share ideas as far as how to improve patient management. So I don't know if this question is for Joe or for um, Cody or if you both want to answer this. But as we move forward, where, where is a place that pharmacists should be going to that will be a resource um, to get the materials that we're talking about? Um, do we have a website created or, or is that being created as we talk? Yeah, yeah that's uh,
5: being created. Uh, oh, go sorry, ahead, Yeah, that's being created as we talk, Randy. Um, The one thing that we do have set up already for luminaries to be contacting us is an email address. So for those best practices out there, for luminaries listening to this, or even if you're a pharmacy and you have a really good best practice, feel free to email us what your best practice is at covid, C-O-V-I-D, at cpsn.com. And we'll certainly be compiling all that information.
3: Yep. Joe Jason. And,
4: and, right, I was just going to say uh, today, if you're part of CPESN, um, definitely connect with the luminaries, uh, your local luminaries. If you don't know who they are, um, you can send us an email uh, to info, info at cpesn.com and we will uh, we'll connect you with those. If you know who they are, connect with your luminaries. And like Cody said, if you if you have some best practices you would like to share, uh, that we can we can help disseminate. Uh, send that email to covid at cpsn um, but, but the CPSN website. If you're if you're not involved with CPSN and want to learn more about it, you can go to our website at cpsn and and uh, you can find where we do in every other Thursday intro webinar that you'll get to hear Randy very often, myself, Cody, and, and others on that intro to to CPSN, it kind of gives you a a 30,000-foot view of what is CPSN and what is the strategy and why do I want to be involved with this.
3: I want to thank all of you today because I know how busy everybody is um, given this pandemic and the stresses it's putting on our practice, but it's important that we get this information out um, to our colleagues to help them as they deal with this as well, too. So uh, thank you, Cody and Joe, Witt and Kelly, uh, for your time today, and, and I appreciate all your efforts of what you're doing out there.
0: And thank you, Randy, and all your guests. Uh, I found that very informative. Uh, Join us next week as we talk with... uh Jeff Wall, a clinical pharmacist from Iowa Methodist Medical Center, uh, and Dr. Wall will help us take a look at uh, a, a closer look at some of the treatment options uh, and things that we can do in our practices to help support uh, both our patients and the other community healthcare providers uh, in this pandemic with the COVID nineteen. Uh, so, uh, with that, we will uh, say goodbye and see you next week. The Thrive Subscribe Podcast is brought to you by Thrive Pharmacy Transformations. Visit us online at tptransformations.com where you can join our free community to inspire you, challenge you, and transform your pharmacy practice.